0: Welcome to the Christian Emergency Podcast, a podcast for Christians spooked by the growing hostility in the culture today. We will tackle a range of topics from current events, persecution, missions, and what it means to be the church. You will gain valuable insights from those experienced working with persecuted Christians around the world, insights we all need to chew on in these strange days. Together, may we help the church stand. Hi, everyone, and welcome to the Christian Emergency Podcast. My name is Andy Coleman, and I'm glad you're joining us for another episode. Today, we're going to turn our focus to our kiddos, and I'm talking to you parents and grandparents out there, anybody that's involved in youth ministry. You know, I know that the world that our kids are growing up in is different than the world that our kids are growing up in, and we have an obligation to help them make sense of that and to process that going forward. This weekend, I was working on a Sunday school lesson for my own local church, and this is the topic I was covering, so I'm, in a way, taking out two birds with one stone, covering it on this, but it's a topic that I've wanted to address now for months, and it's because I've had many conversations with parents who are frazzled, they're scared, they are not sure what to make sense of things, they're not sure how to process all that they see going around Things feel very alien and hostile to them in ways that they have not experienced before. This is where I'm very grateful for my time working overseas with persecuted Christian communities and why I think it's important for us to parlay those lessons and insights for us to use here in the West and around the world where it's new and we need help. What I'm going to do is I'm just going to break out some topics on persecution So that you as a parent, uh, you as a grandparent, whoever you are, that it makes sense to you and that you can go down note by note and extract what is helpful so that you can share with your kid. And you can leave anything that may be more relevant later in their lives, but you will be well informed to have conversations. So like eating a, a fish, take the meat and leave the bones um, we will just go down these points, and you can utilize whatever is helpful to you, um, engaging your kids at their different ages. Of course, as Christians, we need to be discerning. Our kids are at different ages, and we have to be wise in how we communicate with them. Uh, but I will say this. In my experience, kiddos are resilient at absorbing these lessons. I think they're seeing more than we think. I think they can understand that following Christ is not popular in a lot of circles, and we need to help them understand why, and what does the Bible say about that? What do they need to expect? Uh, So that's what we're going to be doing today, and I really do hope that it's helpful. Before I move on, I would say this as well. If there are topics that we don't touch on, or that we touch on but we don't unpack enough for you, let us know email us or, or contact us on social media. You can reach me at andy at christianemergency.com. Uh, we want to make sure that we're addressing the needs that are important to our audience, so let us know. So real quick, what is persecution? You're talking to the kids, they want to know what it is. Uh, persecution is hostility from the world due to one's faith in Christ. It's that simple. That's what we mean by Christian persecution. But we're talking Christian persecution, and it's the world's pushback when the kingdom of god expands maybe the kingdom of god is expanding in your local community because people are reaching out with the gospel and people are coming to faith maybe it's because believers are maturing in their faith and they're able to share that more powerfully with those around them or maybe it's just the fact that there's an active church and people see Christians coming and going uh, regardless there are those around us that do not like that do not appreciate that and push back in the form of persecution plays out in different ways, comes as a result. As Christians, we never seek persecution. It is not an end that we pursue by itself. But instead, as as maturing believers in Christ, we just realize that at times it's a cost that we're going to have to pay as we pursue Christ. Uh, At the same time, as we're not seeking persecution, the flip side of that coin is that Christians must not idolize safety we must not idolize security, and this can be hard for us as parents. We're often praying for the safety and security of our kids, which is right and good, but we also need to pray for our kids to be faithful when they go through trials, especially trials because of their faith. In Matthew chapter 5, verse 10 and 11, we read, Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. So parents, I would submit that the, these are two verses that your kids should commit to memory. Go ahead and work on it as a family, but this is going to explain a lot for them when they're thinking through persecution. They know that blessings will come from them, from their faithfulness, but they also understand that Some are going to revile Christians, some are going to persecute Christians, Uh, they're going to say all kinds of nasty things about Christians, and they're going to lie about Christians, and it's because of who they're identified with—Jesus Christ, their Lord and Savior. And this is going to fill in a lot of the gaps as far as what they're seeing. If something happens on the news, um, this is going to help them process that and make sense of it when it happens in their own lives so we're to be faithful and know that we're going to get some ugly reactions from those that are not fans of Jesus Christ. And for those Christians, when you're talking with your kids, you can share about the persecuted church. The persecuted church is just a description of Christians—it's a loose description of Christians around the world who are suffering for their faith, and they come from many nations, many tribes, many tongues— uh, we have different skin colors, but we're all the same spiritual family. We're all part of the church. This is helpful for us to get our heads around, because at times when the world can seem small and the pressures around us can seem very focused on us, it can remind all Christians, including our kiddos, that, no, we're a part of this big family, and this is playing out at various levels, whether it's a village in Pakistan that is burned because it's a Christian village maybe it's the house church in iran who has been faithfully meeting as a small community but it's been infiltrated by you know undercover police and now they've been reported and they're facing all kinds of hardships maybe it's that christian family in china who is trying to be faithful in their own walk and they're having pressure from security forces or maybe it's the christian down the road who is having problems at work because they have scripture verses on their desk pushback can play out in all of these different ways. When we're talking about the persecuted church, and I know for me, when I when I think about the persecuted church, the first thoughts, the first images that come into my mind are some of those more gnarly episodes of persecution, a, a church bombing, or somebody that, a pastor that's been beaten up, or something like that. But I stumbled across, while I was preparing that Sunday school lesson, I stumbled across a photo That always brings a smile to my face and it's a photo of believers in turkey who are gathering in a public park and you look at this photo they've got the picnic blankets out they've got food out they're eating their own children are milling about with them there's people smiling they're playing games Uh, before this photo was snapped uh, they had a worship service in this public park in turkey in this muslim majority country and the pastor preached a very biblical message in a very loud voice. They took prayer requests. They prayed for one another. They, they sang songs and worshiped with one another. It was a, a sweet time of fellowship that I just got to be a part of. But this is your persecuted family as well. Those believers have suffered because of their faith, and yet they chose to gather in this public park and live out publicly their, their faith and an amazing way in a courageous way, in my opinion, you know you, we Americans think about going and doing that in a in a Muslim majority setting and it can maybe terrify you. But here they are doing it. very gracious. And what was interesting is during this whole time, especially during the, the worship service, there was a crowd gathering around the believers as they as they worshiped and preached. And the crowd, I would keep my eye on the crowd, and I have no doubt that there were some there that were not happy that this was being preached um, in their presence. It conflicted with their Islamic worldview, and they thought it was wrong, and maybe there was some frosty looks given or uh, an insult hurled here and there, uh, but by and large, it wasn't bad. But there were many people that were watching that that I, I'm convinced their hearts were being touched there were seeds being planted, they were hearing the gospel. They were seeing believers live out their faith, and i it's always fascinating how God moves in those settings, but that's your persecuted church as well. So that's something for us to not just get locked in on the, the most graphic and sordid side of the persecuted church. It includes those who live under the present, the ever-present threat of real persecution, those who have come out of persecution, and those who can in, encounter it in the near term at any moment. We are called to lift up our persecuted brothers and sisters and it's a it's a joy to do so and we need to do so as families here. Also as you're talking perhaps maybe with your older kids, your teenagers, they might be curious to know about the types of persecutors that are encountered. Who is carrying out the persecution? Who is ordering it? Who is taking action? There's a few different versions. For example, there is persecution that comes from governments, where there's laws on the books against Christianity. There's formal policies in place curbing the Christian movement and their nations. I'm thinking like China and Iran. In China, you have a communist single-party system, uh, an atheistic system that frowns upon Christianity. It tries to control a little bit, allow a little bit um, of Christianity tailored to their own Marxist worldview, um, but for the underground church and those that are trying to be biblical in in their walk, and their theology, the Chinese authorities come after them uh, for illegal Christian activities. Same thing in Iran. It's an Islamic republic, and it's under the rule of the mullahs, and it's a Shia theocracy. Christian activity, Christians are inv- involved in evangelism. If they're involved in... You know, outreach movements, uh, that is fairboten, that is unacceptable, it's illegal, and it's taken very seriously. To help Americans, to help you understand what it's like over there, um, I try to use this analogy. It's like in the United States, if there was an illegal drug trafficking ring, an illegal drug trafficking operation, local law enforcement and even federal law enforcement would take it very seriously. They would assign officers, agents, resources, and time to root that out. Well, the same is true in Iran when they're looking at the Christian movement, especially the underground movement where Christians are evangelizing and they're, they're, there's expansion of the, the kingdom there. They regard that as a national security threat, so they're assigning officers, agents, and resources to root that out, and it can lead to people being imprisoned, treated horribly, uh, people losing uh, livelihoods and. And that's coming from the government. Another type of persecution that can be encountered is extremist-based persecution. It may not be the government that's causing problems, but there's organizations around that have ill will towards the Christians, the Christian community in their midst. A great example of this would be perhaps Syria and maybe Iraq. Areas where, you know, they, they definitely would have pressures perhaps from the government, but their worst problems were from groups like the Islamic State these extremists who they literally in 2014 mowed over Christian villages in their race to scoop up as much territory as possible. Christians that were that were left behind uh, suffered tremendously. The Christians forfeited. They lost their property. The Islamic State would take it. And this happens in other areas as well, like Al-Qaeda. In Libya, there's that famous scene from a couple years ago where Egyptian Christians were marched out onto a a beach. They were paraded out onto a beach and and executed. Those are, that's extremist-based persecution, not the government. In other uh, areas, more persecution comes from social persecution or community-based persecution. And that is, it may not be the government, it may not be a terrorist organization that causes you problems, but instead those pressures are gonna come from your family. They're going to come from your tribe, your social groups. A good example of this is Afghanistan. Um, We know of believers that came to faith, and given the honor-shame culture that they were in, the family, the tribe, felt that it brought tremendous shame on them to have a Christian in their midst, somebody that converted out of Islam into Christianity, and some suffered tremendously. But that's community-based persecution. So why is that important to talk about with your kids? Well they can track things that are evolving over here in the West. So, for example, when we're talking about government-based persecution, yeah, it's in China, yeah, it's in Iran, but it's starting to crop up more and more in the West. Take a good look at some of the hate speech legislation that's drafted and in force. Um, A lot of that speaks directly against biblical worldviews, against what the Bible says, and Christians are paying a price for that. When you think of extremist-based persecution— Yeah, you don't have ISIS going down the street, but take a look at some of the areas where you do have mobs, militant mobs that are exercising their own authority unchecked and harbor anti-Christian sentiment. Right now, it's it's not fully mature, but it's not beyond the pale that in the near term, some of that can go hot and that you can have extremists out there attacking churches, attacking Christians, and causing other problems. And when we're talking about community-based persecution, it's already here. For our young people, going to school and being a Christian, they will be frowned upon by some. When they're going to colleges, they're going to face, depending on the school that they choose to go to, most college campuses is not a friendly environment for Christians right now in the West, and they need to know that. So from their social groups to the grades they can expect from their teachers— Community-based persecution is already here. And I don't want to I don't want to paper over this either. I don't want any of us to dismiss this persecution for what it is. Does it rise to the level of what our brothers and sisters in Christ and Kabul are facing? No, it does not. But it does not mean that it's not pushback. It doesn't mean that believers here are are not paying a cost. And it doesn't mean that it's ineffective in squelching the body's presence. In local areas where we live. So we need to be savvy to it. In Matthew chapter 5, moving on to verse 44, we read, "...but I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you." So we just talked about the types of persecution that we could expect and those that are gonna be causing problems, but in this verse we're reading that we're to love our enemies and to pray for those who persecute you. I think this is a verse That is easy to hear but hard to apply when you have met and spent time with believers in areas where they have suffered tremendously. Uh, Maybe they've lost a loved one. Maybe they've had to move their entire family to another city, and yet they still find a way to love their enemies and to pray for them. Here's another reason why we need to love our enemies and pray for those who persecute us. Some of those who persecute us, today are going to be serving alongside us in amazing ways tomorrow when i was working in the middle east and central asia a number of the people i was partnering with were doing amazing work for jesus christ they were doing amazing work for the local church they were doing amazing work making inroads with the lost in those communities and yet in their past they had been the ones that were persecuting others God softened their heart. He moved in their life. He exposed them to the Word, and they came to faith. And now they're very, very active in ministry, and that's going to be happening here too. Persecution can play out in various different ways, uh, regardless of who's carrying it out. It might be physical violence, uh, somebody getting roughed up, which can be pretty traumatic. It can lead to some people going to hospitals and Extreme cases, people lose their lives, which can really shake a local community. Sometimes persecution leads to people going to prison. This might be a pastor, and now the flock is left to to struggle in the pastor's absence. It might be just a normal Christian going to prison. And in my experience, that's often been the breadwinner. So a family might be really struggling to make ends meet and put food on the table. So that's pretty serious. Persecution can play out in the form of threats and intimidation and harassment. That is very evident in the West. We talked recently about a a pastor in, in England who spoke up on social media about a biblical perspective regarding a gay pride parade. And in response, there were threats of burning his church to the ground threats made against his wife, other pretty awful things, did not get a lot of assistance from the local law enforcement, but that's the threats, the intimidation, the harassment that Christians are experiencing here. That's already going on. There's also smart persecution. So when you're talking with your young people, let's talk about smart persecution. Threats, intimidation, and harassment, that can play out in the public eye. Um, Maybe in the West, that's a, a version of cancel culture, trying to get people in trouble or kicked out of their jobs. And smart persecution, it goes about the same ends, but the means it uses are a little bit more clandestine. It's more below the radar screen, and it can be devastatingly effective because it strips away a Christian's ability to survive, essentially, in that local community, or it can even be applied to churches. But smart persecution is using bureaucracy, red tape, frivolous lawsuits to basically grind away at a Christian's ability to survive. So it does not generate any flashy headlines. It does not result in blood rolling down the streets, um, but it does choke out the local body. And when it's applied to churches, that's where you will see churches get slapped with lawsuit after lawsuit after frivolous lawsuit. And eventually they pay too many attorney fees. They're out of resources and, and they shudder. So it's very effective. And that's playing out in the West as well you do see laws, bureaucracy, local codes being used to really target Christians. In California, you're seeing some churches starting to, to rise up against this. Grace Community Church with John MacArthur is challenging local ordinances that favor certain establishments but not churches, and uh, are really being used in a way to to harass and target the local churches. So it's not something that's alien to us here. Let's turn quickly to 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 12. There we read, Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. So when you're talking with your kids, you can point out, does that say might be persecuted? Maybe they'll be persecuted? No, it says all. It says they will be persecuted. So there will be pushback. When we're looking at persecution in the West, yes, it feels a little bit strange and alien, but it's not new. It just feels new. Um, when In the United States, when we look at the founding of our country and the pilgrims uh, coming across the Atlantic, the pilgrims were fleeing religious persecution in, in England and in Europe. You know, there's a lot that we could cover here, but j- I just want to give a few examples Uh, Before the Second World War, you have Dietrich Bonhoeffer in Germany, who became concerned when he saw the Nazis rise to power and start co-opting the German churches. He took tremendous risks in defense of biblical theology when the Germans were trying to insert uh, false doctrines and false teachings. Uh, He rebutted that and challenged that. He set up what were deemed illegal seminaries so that biblical theology could be preserved and taught and passed down to future generations. He even took an active role against uh, the regime and in the plot to, to kill Hitler, and he was eventually arrested and killed in prison shortly before the end of World War II. In nearby Romania, the story of Richard Wurmbrand, his was a fascinating story that played out about the same time. Uh, the Nazis invaded Romania, and Pastor Wormbrand had a ministry reaching out to the Nazis who had invaded his country. He would share the gospel with them. Uh, when the communists, when, when the Soviets, Soviet troops pushed the Nazis out and and claimed Romania, Richard Wormbrand was reaching out to the Soviets and sharing the gospel with them. This landed him in prison for thirteen years, where he suffered tremendously, almost died. But I point all this out in that. This was a few decades ago. Pastor Wormbrand was ransomed to the West in the early 1960s. It seems like another time to us, but it really wasn't that long ago. So that leads us up to today, and like we've touched on, it's here. It's already been here. A great example of this is um, you know, the Christian Legal Society. This was a group that I enjoyed being a part of when I was a law student. This is a, a group of Of law students and attorneys who have a biblical worldview. Um, They had student chapters across the United States, but, you know, over the last 10 years, many of those student chapters have been kicked off campuses because they adhered to a biblical worldview. They had a biblical charter. Um, They wanted Christians and leadership roles, and that conflicted with the prevailing worldview at these campuses, and it was treated as heresy, and they were they were kicked out. That's been going on for for years. So how does the Church stand? We're talking with our young people. How do we help them understand how Christians can stand and not compromise? All people will suffer uh, eventually for different reasons over the course of their life, but when we're talking about persecution, it's suffering because of our identification and active faith. We don't want to compromise. We don't want our children to compromise and the way that they're going to be able to do that is by knowing the Word. They're going to need to know the Word. They're going to know, need to know proper biblical doctrine. They need to know what God has revealed about himself, but they also need to know the Bible so that they do not fall for false teachings. And there are so many false teachings that are floating around there these days. It's it's disturbing. I wish I could say that most of those false teachings were only outside of the church and only in the, the conversations playing out in the communities but well, that's not the reality. The reality is that there are false teachings that are emanating from, from the church, from uh, within, and it's disturbing. There are Christians out there trying to, to teach strange things as gospel issues where people are racist because of the color of their skin and just some warped teachings that can stem from critical race theory and all of these other things that have infected the church. We need to know what the Bible says and to challenge, to be able to challenge that, and our young people need to be able to do that. Another thing that our kiddos need to be equipped for is being missional and advancing the gospel. A front-leaning church, front-leaning Christians that are active in their faith, that are outside uh, the walls of their church, uh, sharing naturally with those around them, active in kingdom ministry, it stretches and strengthens their spiritual muscles and they seem to be effective and and ready for the challenges that come we need to be able to have our young people publicly stand for christ to just know that that's who they are and then they're not gonna avoid it and like like we talked about earlier in this podcast just to expect persecution and to stand firm when it hits now this is an interesting point uh, that you can unpack with your children Yes, we expect persecution, but when it happens, there's also a tremendous opportunity that we don't want to lose sight of, and that is that is our ability to be a witness for Christ. When people when a person pushes against us, when a person acts ugly towards us and we don't back down from what we believe, the persecutor in that case is going to have to file that away. They're going to have to take note of that and maybe not then and there, but at some time they're going to have to ask themselves why that person wouldn't back down when it would have been in their interest to do so. Those that are observing what's playing out around them have to do the same thing. Why is this person taking this abuse, but they're not backing down and they're responding in a winsome way. That's going to challenge some prevailing attitudes out there. That's an opportunity that comes from us when we're ready to stand. I, I use this quote a lot, and I hear this quote used a lot on the topic of persecution. The blood of the martyrs is the seed of the Church. Um, that was penned by Tertullian, a, a Christian leader from Carthage. Carthage is in North Africa, and Tertullian lived around the years 155 to 240 A.D. And what's interesting is those words, the blood of the martyrs is the seed of the Church, is, is true, but I'm not sure it's entirely true. I'm looking at a map of uh, North Africa, and Carthage sits squarely in the middle. And yes, at the time when Tertullian wrote those words, that was that was Christian—those were Christian-majority regions. And yet, just a few centuries later, they had been flipped. And today, it's, it's a, a Muslim-majority region. But I think it points out that we really need to be intentional, that we have spiritually nourished, spiritually healthy churches that are integrated— into every level and facet of society be able to withstand pressures that are inbound. Another thing we need to unpack with our kids is that a spiritually healthy church is going to see blessings from persecution. Christians are going to see blessings from persecution. Persecution refines the church. What do I mean by that? It makes, it forces Christians into a decision where they're going to go hot or cold, they're either going to double down and cling to Christ and just own it, or they're not, um, and they're going to get swept up and kind of what's popular and what's what's prevailing, the prevailing attitudes, and those that are left are really in, and they're committed. They're all in. Persecution also draws us closer to Christ. When we're struggling, we turn to we turn to the Lord, and we seek help from him. We're in prayer to him. We're seeking his word more, and we're applying it more closely. It draws us closer to one another as Christians. Those that have doubled down and chosen to stand for Christ, well, they find themselves in the same trenches, shoulder to shoulder with other Christians who have decided to stand for Christ. And we help one another. We help one another's kiddos. We look out for each other. We support one another when persecution hits. That's what we do, and that fellowship can be sweet. That's why I enjoyed traveling and working with a persecuted church so much overseas. And like I described, it's going to challenge observers and force them to ask some tough questions, ultimate questions about what is true and why is it that we're so willing to stand for this belief, this faith in Jesus Christ. Persecution can certainly bless individual Christians and local churches, but it can also play out in blessings for entire countries and regions. Um, Two excellent examples of this is what you see with the Christian bodies in China and Iran. In 1949, that church fell to communism, atheistic communism. The four missionaries were were run out of dodge, and there were not a lot of indigenous Chinese Christians left. And I imagine people suspected that that was it for the church and that it was done. And yet there are some estimates today that perhaps 100 million Christians, Chinese Christians, are in that nation. And those are Christians that have been raised up under persecution, who have counted the cost and decided to follow Jesus Christ. So I point out that all that church growth, all that blessing, all those souls that have been saved, that happened after Mao. In 1979, in Iran, very different context, another revolution happened. Ayatollah Khomeini comes to power, and the Islamic Republic of Iran is born, it gets ugly quick, particularly for Christians. They suffer tremendously, and at the time, the, the Western uh, missionaries, Christian missionaries, were booted out. I've had the opportunity to meet some of these individuals. It's so fascinating, and they will tell you, we thought that our work was for not We thought there was maybe 500 indigenous Iranian believers in that entire country. It was a baby church, and it was going to shrivel up and die on the vine. And yet today, there's reports that we might have upwards of 1 million Iranian believers in that country. From that 500 in 1979, that is exponential growth. That also happened under persecution, not just— despite the persecution, sometimes because of the persecution. Those communities got a good, long, hard look at the Islam that was forced upon them, and many people rejected it and started asking ultimate questions. Many were led to faith in Jesus Christ. That happened after the Islamic Republic came to town. I just think that's so encouraging for us as parents to to know that with all the instability around us with cities being burned and people saying horrifically ugly things and treating one another ugly and a contentious election in play. Uh, Jesus is on the throne, and we don't have to fear. No matter what happens, our job is to be faithful to Jesus and just focus on being the church and sharing the good news with the lost and to press forward no matter what happens. So those are good examples for us to take to heart today. We're getting close to wrapping it up. Just a couple more points. How do you talk to your young people about responding to persecution? Well, again, I've, I've mentioned this before. They need to prepare now. They need to think through it now and choose, are they going to follow Jesus Christ? Are they willing to, to follow Jesus Christ if it costs them? They need to have those conversations with you today these are just conversations that we need to be having with our kids, not just one offers. We need to be having them periodically over meals. Uh, when we're spending time with them, hopefully you're out fishing with them, playing catch, getting outside, spending time with them, but talking with them and helping them to, to realize it's, it will cost them. It will cost you, but it is worth doing. And And that's so much easier to digest ahead of time than in the heat of the moment. Also, when we're talking about responding to persecution, it seems counterintuitive, but we need to lean into the pressure. We need to lean into the persecution. Um, if anybody has been to the beach, they they you know, you've played in the breakers and the waves. Well, if a big wave has ever come and you've tried to get away from that danger by turning and trying to run away from it, you get walloped. You that undertow grabs your feet, you get stuck and you get slammed. Um, it's still fun usually. But something else happens if you see that big wave coming, and instead of trying to run away from it, you just turn towards it, you dive in, and all of a sudden the wave has passed and you're still standing. In many ways, I feel like that is a good description of persecution. When pressures build and we're tempted to run or kind of go go weak and slink away, it's in those moments that sometimes the best thing that we can do is just turn and graciously confront it. And many times that pressure might just pass. We might be more fearful of what's coming than what really happens, but we just need to turn into it and, and be willing to, to make that stand and to dive into the pressure. We also need to talk to our young people about an eternal mindset, realizing that everything isn't in the here and now. What's going on right now around me That's not the end-all, be-all. There is a spiritual realm. God is at work in these situations, and he's doing something bigger than us. I think Jim Elliott speaks to this. Jim Elliott was a missionary to the Harani people of Ecuador. He lost his life, and many people know his story. He lost his life with other missionaries, but ended up making a tremendous impact on this small tribe of people. Several came to faith. But he has this wonderful quote. And it reads, he is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. What Jim Elliott just described there was an eternal mindset. He knew he was taking tremendous risks to to try to reach a very violent indigenous tribe, but he knew that even if something happened to his life, that which he could not keep, that he was with Jesus Christ. Uh, that he was gaining what he could not lose. No matter what happened, he was going to be with Christ. And he could be courageous about that. That is an eternal mindset. And we need to cultivate that in ourselves in and in our young people. All right, let's let's wrap this up with perhaps some some ways that you can help practically your young people prepare for persecution. I've said it before, but we need to get our kids in the word. Many of you are creative in doing that and finding ways to do that in a schedule. Um, If you can start them with a quiet time, um, just encourage them to have a quiet time. Maybe that's the 10 minutes at the beginning of the day, but they can get in the Word and have a little bit of prayer time and just get their bearings. I think that's incredibly helpful for them. I'm a big fan of study Bibles. It adds a lot of context, especially for your older teenagers. Get them some good resources like the ESV Study Bible. You can find some good resources at christianbook.com or ywampublishing.com. YWAM is Youth with a Mission, and they have some great, uh, you know, short books about uh, missionaries and missions. Now, some of you might be throwing a flag and being like, wait a minute, we're talking to our kids about persecution, and you're directing them to find materials about missions and missionaries? Yeah, I am. And I think what's going to happen is these short books um, that they can get their hands on, like on Adoniram Judson, uh, they're going to learn about how these faithful people dealt with persecution and hardship themselves. They can learn about those who took tremendous risks uh, for Jesus Christ, for our Savior. They looked at persecution. They leaned into the pressure. They had eternal mindset. All these things come together in these mission biographies. So I think it's incredibly healthy for our young people. I talked about this in a previous episode, but that is the, the YWAM prayer diary. I like that just for keeping a calendar, and it's small. It's inexpensive. You can get that to a teenager um, just to keep records of their day-to-day activities. But it's also helpful because it includes a lot of specific prayer requests related to uh, missions, and it's got a great Bible uh, reading plan that's easy to do and it would have them complete the Bible in less than a year. It's just been a great resource with short articles about missions and even persecution. So in closing, we need to encourage our kiddos to be active in their faith. When they have opportunities to participate in church events like outreach efforts or mission trips, I hope they get plugged in. I hope they do it. I hope in their natural conversations with friends at school that, they're open to sharing about Jesus, even to people that—even to just others around them, regardless of who they are. We need to be praying for the persecuted church. Again, this is not a cause that we're to rally around for a season and then migrate to something else. This is your spiritual family, and the more our kids can understand that they have spiritual brothers and sisters around the world, the more real it's going to become for them. I would also say, you know. If they get nervous, if you get nervous with things that are going on around you in the headlines, in the news, in what you're seeing on social media, to turn the table on that fear through prayer. You see uh, something scary happening in Lebanon, well, immediately take that, that fear, that thought captive, and remember that you have brothers and sisters in Christ living in Lebanon and making Jesus Christ famous in Lebanon, and they are actively expanding the the kingdom of God in that country, and they're being faithful, just like we're trying to be faithful. And when you do that, it casts out that spirit of fear, and you could do the same thing as other topics come up. You hear about Antifa or rioters burning buildings in Seattle or Portland. Well, pray. Pray about the brothers and sisters in Christ, you have in the Portland area that are busy about the kingdom. They're busy helping their neighbors, and there's all these needs around them, and they're busy engaged in that, and praise God. Praise them for that. So don't allow ourselves to cower in fear, but instead pray for our persecuted church and for the good work that they're doing in these hard areas. And finally, just I would encourage your children to take baby steps in courage to stand for their faith. Lean into that pressure Take a baby step when things are uncomfortable, and make a small stand for their faith to to flex and use those spiritual muscles a little bit so that they're stronger for the next trials, which may be bigger. Otherwise, we just get to continue walking with Christ. Uh, Remind your kids that He is always with them, that we have the Spirit with us, that we're never alone Uh, that we're not facing circumstances that others are not. We're a part of this family, and it is a joy to be a part of this family. I'm I'm thankful to be a part of it. I'm thankful that you are as well. Thank you very much for listening. God bless you, and God bless your kiddos. Bye. Thank you for joining us today for the Christian Emergency Podcast. If you enjoyed today's show, please subscribe and give us a five-star review. Also, tell your friends about us and ask them to subscribe as well. To learn more about the Christian Emergency Alliance or financially invest in our ministry, visit us at www.christianemergency.com. You can also find us on Facebook and Twitter. Thank you again for listening and stand strong out there.